0: It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here, and coming up in just a bit, we're going to talk about a new chat protocol that's absolutely secure and private OTR and an implementation from the uh, cypherpunks called CryptoCat, plus all your security news. Security Now is next. Netcasts you love
1: from people you trust.
0: This This is twit. Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 406, recorded May 29, 2013. Off the record with OTR. Security Now is brought to you by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. For 20% off your new account for life, go to proxpn.com slash twit and use the offer code SN20. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security online, your privacy online, science fiction, coffee, Herba mate, and anything else that is going through the brain of this man, our explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. <laughs> Hello, Steve. <laughs>
1: that would be kind of cool if I, my I, middle name.
0: I'm, you, could, you can take any middle name you choose, and I think you should take that he, name in honor of he, Captain Kirk. Oh, I, I think that would be
1: okay. So, yeah. we have a, a neat episode. We've, we've, in the past, talked a lot about the fundamentals of security, sort of the building blocks. And, and for example, we often refer to uh, PGP as a, a, a popular means of protecting, for example, email communication. Yes. Uh, pr- pretty good privacy, Phil yes. Zimmerman's, uh, you know, famous protocol. But there are some problems with with what it does and the way it works for example well we'll we'll get into that but uh what i want to talk about this this podcast is is the protocol that underlies, that under that oh, i'm underlies under underpants underpants under underpants under 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 under, under under yeah we'll yes. use under okay <laughs> uh, be, beneath um, the cryptocat um, web chatting service which is known as off the record otr and off the record is is really what I want to talk about which is more interesting cryptocat is just a is a is a super simple low friction easy to uh, use easy to wait way to get into this concept of of OTR off-the-record protocol usage, yet it turns out that this off-the-record protocol is the key and the cool part of CryptoCat. Um, those guys, the CryptoCat guys, have just done a nice implementation of it. But, for example, it exists, it is available as a plug-in for a- almost all mature, um, you know, am chatting clients you can get it for xchat and for you know all the rest we'll we'll sort of enumerate those toward the end um and and the way it operates the way it was designed and the features it deliberately provides are just i think fascinating and form a perfect topic for a security-based podcast no relation
0: to the qcat barcode scanner
1: None no. whatsoever. No. <laughs>
0: there's cats in the name. Uh, yeah. All right. Good. Well, this will be this will be fun. I have uh, we just have one uh, Pro XPN commercial. So why don't we? Uh, I know you have security news. So why don't yeah. we do that and then uh, we'll do the commercial yeah. before we talk about uh, CryptoCat.
1: So probably I, I don't think there's been anything that's been more tweeted in a week. Actually, it's only been. Three days. It feels like long, longer than that. Uh, Ars Technica, you may have seen this, Leo, or probably received your own share of, of tweets about it, um, did on the 27th the uh, a, uh, a story titled Anatomy of a Hack, How Crackers Ransack Passwords.
0: Oh, yeah, this scared me, actually.
1: Well, because okay, so, they
0: were talking about how you know, a sixteen-character basically random password was cracked in an hour, and I just thought, oh boy, I'm glad Steve Gibson is here to talk about this,
1: and thus the reason so yeah. many people tweeted because they wanted to make sure that it, that I knew about it. And absolutely, so in their headline, they said how crackers ransack passwords like, then they gave the example of Q E A D Z C W R S F X V one. That's a pretty which, good sounding password. It's just like, yeah, that would you think that would be strong enough, yeah. but it it fell to these people. So I just tweeted the link to this, although you could also the, the URL in you know under the Rstechnica.com domain is how crackers make minced meat of or minced meat out of your passwords, all hyphenated. So I'm sure Google, if you put how crackers make minced meat out out of your passwords would take you to the article or well, you just also, go to
0: it's right on the front page right now of ours because it's well, such that a big would be topic yeah everybody wants to read it it's
1: so funny, you know. a couple things uh first of all it's it's a three-page read i recommend it to our listeners because there's a lot of information there now one of the things that we will spot we listeners of this podcast first of all is that they chose to use as an example the weakest possible password hashing technology or md5
0: yeah yes so they even say that they say due to flaws in md5 this is easier
1: well so yes i mean so yeah they do explain it but that's still what they use right so while acknowledging it it's really important to understand that they they were these were unsalted it was the worst hash that nobody uses anymore um you Although know, 100... I should point
0: out, I think it was who was it that was using this unsalted fairly recently. I mean, people do yeah.
1: websites do use it, right? But but you know, the, one of the things that has frightened people are the benchmarks that Ars Technica ran, and so it's important to recognize that you know, all of this is a function of the technology. That is, the technology here is a is a is MD five with no salt and no strengthening, which is to say no iterations. And, you know,
0: we, we, and physical access to the password database, the hash database, so that you can right. run many, many, many brute force attacks on it in, in a second.
1: Now, now, okay. So, so with that said, though, I mean, there's still a lot of value in the article. So I don't mean to in any way discount the article. It It is absolutely worth reading for a couple takeaways that I thought were interesting. First of all, as in these three pages... The author who interviewed three different hackers, one whose name they never knew. He remained anonymous using, I don't remember what his handle was, his, you know, pixel or something. Um, They interviewed them while they were working. They were all working with their preferred cracking tool, which is the open source, freely available OCL Hashcat Plus which has its own web page and, you know, features, you know, it's a multi parallel GPU. It can scale to 128 simultaneous GPUs, graphics processing units in a, you know, in a monster system. It is, it's, it doesn't, you don't just like, load it up and go, you you interact with it, which was one of the interesting aspects. Although that third that, hacker
0: was using like
1: one one kind
0: of PC with a 7970 card, Radix wasn't using exactly the high-end stuff to crack it, right?
1: Cr- cr- well exactly. In fact yeah. they none of them had super large hardware. They did they, they in fact they commented at one point that because they didn't have access to their normal, you know, right. cracking box they their strategies were a little different. They They're might have been basic, a
0: little basically normal computers with with AD Radeon uh, cards in them. ATI. Or, yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. None of them were were high power. Right. So again, that 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 helps to offset the fact that it was MD5, no salt, and no iteration. So they were. It's you know pretty much just straight, you know. Put a string in in, in, almost instantaneously. Well, yeah, I mean virtually instantaneously. Get out the MD5 hash and then see if it's in the list that you're trying to crack. So the really interesting thing that the article explains is the strategy that these three guys deploy. They have word lists. So naturally, the first thing they do is just run their word list through the hash that they know the site is using, the hash algorithm, which in this case is MD5, no salt, no iterations, that instantly turns their word list into a set of 128-bit, because that's the size of MD5's output, 128-bit hashes, which they then cross-reference with the with the hashed... Um, you know, stolen or leaked whatever password database to see if they get any hits. And you know, bang, the, the, each of them, because they have they're working from their own ha- password lists lists, they get varying numbers of collisions. one list and, has you know, a know,
0: billion hits. passwords on it.
1: I mean, it's huge. So you're going to get some collisions because um, a lot
0: yes. of people use sexy monkey one, two, three. that's for sure on that list. And if they used it in this particular database, it'll work, right?
1: Well, and, so yes, so so it's worth reading the article because they, they do a number of things. For example, they'll take their word lists and they'll just use them like that. Then they'll, you know, do the, the, the sort of things we would, if we were scratching our head thinking about it, we would try. Like then they add, they try all different four-digit combinations uh, appended to the end. And bang, another couple thousand, you know, are found that way, um, because somebody says, you know, as you, you know, you know, uh, sexy mama four two six seven, and they think, oh, that no one's gonna ever get that. Well, yeah, that came right after a four two six six, <laughs> so, so that wasn't that hard to find. Um, but the thing that I really thought was most interesting. Oh, and they did make the comment that in this case they did not know from which site this this list came um, probably to protect the site i mean we don't know really what the what the history of this password li- of, the, of the the password database was that these guys were cracking but they made the point obviously that if you knew where this came from and normally you would because you're trying to crack passwords for that site you know that you know you got this the, the database from some site. So that's the the point is that you would look very closely at the password policy that is the the password acceptance policy of that site. Ah. So if that site says must your passwords must be 10 characters or greater, well they're not going to try any six character passwords or seven or eight or nine. Right. That just they're right. not going to. But they didn't have that in this case. So they did try some they're like I think some of them had like every possible six-character password. Just bang, as they they ran that through the thing, and that took an hour. <laughs> and it, it found it found some, you know. And then they concatenated them. They they tried word mixtures, and that found a bunch more. But the coolest thing of all was that once they had found, eh, you know, six or seven thousand passwords, they there they actually run a Markov chain, a Markov modeling against the passwords they have found. Because what they have, what the professional crackers know is that for a given site, for whatever weird reasons of like the psychology of the people collectively going to a given site, the passwords they choose tend to be similar which I thought was fascinating. So when you're, it's like the site influences your, the the password you create to some degree, or or your choice to go there. Maybe if you're bringing a pre-prepared password that you use, unfortunately, across many sites, you know, who knows what it is. But what they have found is that if they analyze the passwords they have easily cracked for, Statistical differences, the you know, the, the number of characters, the number of uppercase, the the incidences, you know, the, the location of digits in the password. If they if they look at the passwords they have cracked, it gives them a strong advantage against the ones they have not yet cracked, which I thought was, oh, that's just so cool. I mean that 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 actually works. And so they did that in this process, and so they used like their standard approaches to to get thousands of more readily cracked ones. then looking at what those were, they then modified the guessing that is that that their 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 results from the early cracking, the easy cracking fed backwards almost evolutionarily into the to to, to drive the next generation of guessing and hash plus does all this. I mean, it's interactive. At, at one point, some, uh, one of the guys was doing something and it said, "Oh, that's going to take 20 hours, but this was like an, a real time interview mode. And they said, oh, he, so he aborted that after a few minutes because it wasn't finding much or the rate at which it was finding him, what didn't impress him. And so he said, okay, stop that. And let's go try a different direction. So anyway, terrific article. And, Thank you, everybody, for sending. it What's it the takeaway on this? I mean, I uh,
0: websites obviously need to use stronger uh, hashes than the uh, w- well-known broken MD5. Yes. They need yes. to salt so, them. Uh, but if yeah. a web, but you don't control that. I mean, when I log into a site A, I don't know it. Right. I might be able to infer it from their po- policy, but uh, I don't know it. And uh, and B, we don't control what they choose. I can't say to them, "Well, I'm not going to use uh, MD5.
1: Would you use something else?" So. Nothing we saw in this article said that I was wrong about haystacks. Which is not to say that somebody should use, you know, a a simple repeating pattern as their entire password. But the whole concept of password haystacks was to push you out to make it easy to make a much longer password than you would normally ever have. Yes, it's true. And completely random passwords are best. That's the takeaway. And in any scenario, you you want as long a password as the site will let you use, and it wants to be completely random, which means you cannot remember it. But the it is a ha-
0: hockey stick when it comes to password length.
1: Yes. And they do and show that, that graph. Yes. I was going to have you bring that up ahead of time because yeah. that, 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 that's sort of like, okay, I rest my case on length that they they call it you know the, the hitting the wall a password length as it gets longer it just goes exponentially straight up in the amount of time it takes to crack these so that was my my recognition which is why I created the password haystacks I concept was take you know start with a good password and then pad it make it longer because remember they don't know. They don't know anything about what you've put in until they find it. And if you make it longer, they're just, they're not going to find it. But the way the Ars Technica article ended was saying nothing beats really long, totally random. Nobody can remember that. So they, and Ars Technica said, we will shortly be doing a series on password reminder programs a la LastPass. and now does does this does
0: this uh, change first. how i think about LastPass? because that's the one password you know i have to remember one password i use LastPass to generate 16 or longer character passwords random ones yep. for every site i join but i do yes. have to remember one password that's the last pass password and for that i make it long but i use a mnemonic is that
1: should i worry about that well and remember one thing we do know about the last pass guys is they're on top of this they're not using md5 yeah, with true. no with no salt <laughs> and <point>. no iteration <laughs> yes okay. so so you know they're they uh they recognize that they're holding a massive asset in the form of all of their customers passwords but we're 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 encrypting them before LastPass ever gets them. So LastPass never gets them in the clear. Remember that all the sites we go to, they get them in the clear, and then they hash them to store them. So there's a vulnerability right there. Right. La- LastPass, it's client-side encryption, really good client-side encryption, um, and they recently beefed up their uh, PBKDF2 iterations. I think what they recommend... Was it five hundred? I don't remember now. But, 5,000, but that's something
0: I think they said. 5, yeah. So
1: you're able to set that and crank it up as high as you want. Yeah. So that's happens in your browser. Then it gets sent there. Then they salt it and further mix it. And I mean, because they don't want the responsibility of having all this. So, so my feeling is they've. While it is true that we end up with a rather complex and sophisticated chain of security, and we know that that's always dangerous. It is, you know, we, we're, we're storing really good passwords in a secure manner with something like LastPass, which, you know, you and I have both chosen after, yeah. you know, really looking at it carefully. So Ars Technica is going to follow on this story by essentially going where we've already gone and saying the best passwords are long and random. So if you can use those, you should, and you need to use some sort of password minder to manage that for you.
0: LastPass does so many great things now. It's gotten better and better. They've got, uh, uh, they've even got uh, you know, um, if you put a, a credit card number in there, they'll do it for free. You get some credit card uh, watching uh, features. They remind you now, and this has become an annoyance, but it's a good thing. If you're if you're if it says, hey, you know, you use the same password on this site as you use on other sites, mm-hmm. they'll let you know now, which is great. Yes, it-
1: They will audit your own use and say, oh, you know, you ought to maybe fix this. Yeah. Oh, thank you.
0: But the more I use it, the happier I am. It's just a great product. Yeah, it's the right thing. Yeah.
1: So Amazon has joined the team or the league of OAuth 2.0 site logon providers. Hmm. For example, you know, log on with your Facebook account, log on with your Google account, log on with your Twitter account. Now you can log on with amazon. And when I when I heard that this morning, I, I immediately checked and sure enough they are I was hoping they didn't just invent some random thing themselves because that would be dumb. Uh, and they didn't. They used OAuth 2.0, which is the the technology we've covered in detail. We did a whole podcast on the the way that technology works so that your at some random site you don't want to bother creating an account there because you know you just want to post something to a blog or you you want to buy something but you don't want to go through all of the account creation headache and they offer you the option log on with amazon and you're like oh i'm an amazon user so you just push that button uh, either you're already logged into amazon or you bounce over to amazon log in with your amazon credentials and then the oauth protocol working behind the scenes is able to provide an identity uh, and whatever information the site has requested from Amazon. for example, they want you know Amazon might do all of your pro- your uh, your purchase processing, but you you want to provide your address and 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 some information about yourself so you don't have to provide that all to the site. So that's now available for Amazon so, so I just updated uh, my
0: Amazon password because that's probably a good thing to uh, make sure that's secure now, right? yes, yes.
1: That's, <laughs> and and again, the I, mark my words, every time on this podcast, we have said something is going to happen. It, sometimes it takes a year or two, but then it happens. yeah, we are we're gonna see an abuse of this. We're gonna see sites saying, "Oh, log, in, log log in with Amazon." and they're gonna, you're gonna click the button and you're going to be bounced to a fake amazon site. I mean that is yeah. that is yeah. this is bound to happen. Yeah. Let's say that is the problem with OAuth. So when you're using any of this log on with your, you know, with the high value site credentials you already have, really look at where you're going. I mean, I, this is where you d- you definitely want to to see the extended validation coloration, hopefully the site you're you're logging into offers that so you can you know verify you you're, you're, you're at them. you want to look at the URL carefully to make sure that it's you know www.amazon.com and it's not amazon.com or amazon.cat or amazon.cat or something. I mean you know look carefully because this is going to happen. And we don't want our listeners to get bitten by it. Well, I wish
0: they so, would adopt two-factor. They probably won't because they're trying to sell stuff, right? And they don't want to put speed bumps in.
1: Well, they have two-factor now on um, on a lot of their other services. Not on their, I don't know if it's on their main no, not that I know buy of. a book. Yeah. But def, but def, oh, a- a- Amazon is supporting uh, the, the proper uh, OTP, the one-time password, two-factor, multi-factor authentication for their... You know, uh, S three and web services and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, they're definitely there. I wouldn't be at all surprised if they if they're probably just you know working it out. And then if they, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they move it forward. Yeah, that would be good. Yes, it would. And Google announced something interesting that actually was, I mean, it just sort of seemed random to me. But but then in looking at the details, I thought, oh, there's some teachable bits in here for our listeners, and that is. Google has formally put out the word that they're going to be updating all of their SSL certificates. Mm. They want they figured it's time now to move from 1024-bit public keys to 2048-bit public keys. So they're doubling the public key length which ridiculously exponentiates the the security of the public key. It's like it's not it does, public keys, remember, don't scale their difficulty as quickly as, as much smaller symmetric keys do. That's why a smaller symmetric key, like an AES key, can be 128 bits or 256, whereas we need 1,024 or 2,048 bits in a public key. So the, the key length – I mean, if you, if you had a key length like that for a symmetric key – well, there are no ciphers that, that that operate on on symmetric key lengths that long. You just don't need them, but you do in a public key. But still, this is great that that Google is is saying, okay, you know, it's these these 1024 bit keys are seeing a little seeming a little old. But what was really interesting was that they were pre announcing this to the developer community because it turns out many people have taken some shortcuts, uh, which could, if Google changed their certificates, could break authentication. But that's what the whole public key infrastructure, PKI, is designed to allow us to do. You know, GRC, I, I remember I famously left VeriSign and went over to, to DigiCert, and I'm super happy for that. Nothing broke. And then I and I upgraded my certificates to EV. In fact, I just did that the other day for uh some other some subdomains because i wanted to go 100% ev at grc again nothing broke but it turns out that there there are things developers could do that are se- essentially taking shortcuts and apparently google is aware of this and is would like to say look if you've done these things well it's on you because we're going to give you some notice so for example google said quoting them For a smooth upgrade, client software that makes SSL connections to Google must, and this was bold, underlined italics, must perform normal validation of the certificate chain. It was like, okay, well, who wouldn't? Well, we're about to find out. It's also include a properly extensive set of root certificates contained We have an example set which should be sufficient for connecting to Google in our FAQ. Note, the contents of this list may change over time, so clients should have a way to update themselves as changes occur. Okay, well, there they're just talking about the root certificates. So they're saying, do normal validation, that is, don't do something screwy, um, and we'll talk about what that would be. Have a mature set of root certificates, meaning that, you know, Google's new certs are going to be signed by some major root certificate authority, you know, like a DigiCert or a VeriSign or, or whomever. So you need those root certificates in order, you know, like a, a mature set. It may be that some people just have, for example, only have the one root that currently signs all of Google's certificates. And then if Google were to change its 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 provider of its certificate, then that would break software that like was like google, very highly google specific so google is warning people saying eh, you know don't do that and then they also said support subject alternative names san sans subject alternative names are that's the technical term for one certificate being able to provide coverage for multiple domains for example I have a GRC, one cert- certificate, and the, act, the formal name, the so-called CN, the common name on the certificate, is just grc.com. Yet the certificate is valid also for www.grc.com. And had I anticipated it, I would have also put media.grc.com in there. And you can have many. So and those are called alternative names for the subject, so thus subject alternative names and the idea is that that it's very practical to obviously have just one certificate that covers many domains rather than, than having to have individual certificates per domain. So this all exists in the in the in the very common certificate uh a standard now which is v3 version 3 uh for this uh, uh certificate standard the public key infrastructure and it's been around forever but you know some clients may not know that that sams the subject to alternative names Are really now important to support. For example, Google may not have been taking advantage of that in the past. Google is saying they're broadcasting in in advance. We intend to do that now. Everybody else has been doing it for two decades, so we'd like to. Thank you very much. Please make sure that if you've got any strange clients that are lagging way behind, they understand to look in the subject alternative name field if they see, because we may be providing a certificate whose Common name doesn't match, and we're going to be relying on the client to accept, the, to look in the subject-alternative name field for that match. And they said also, clients should should, should support the server name indication, SNI extension, and I'll t- explain that in a second, because clients may need to make an extra API call to set the host name on an SSL connection. Any client unsure about SNI support can be tested against, and then they give the URL https colon slash slash googlemail.com. This URL should only validate if you are sending SNI. Now, what SNI is, is another very cool extension, which, again, has existed for quite a while. Uh, An adoption of it has been slow. The idea is that, and And Leo, we've talked about this before. in a hosted in, in a hosted website model, there's been a problem of each domain, each SSL needing to be associated with a single IP address. And you know the idea being that that um, that the client does a DNS query, for example on say well I'll use my myself again as, as an example grc.com that gives an ip address and it then connects to the server at that ip and will only accept a certificate that says grc.com but in as we know there are hosting providers who have a huge number of websites all sharing a single IP. Well, the way that works for web browsers is in the query header. They have a a host header that says, this is the host that I'm wanting to connect to at this IP. And so that allows a multi-domain hosting provider to Hook that client up with the proper server because the client is saying, "I want this host name at this IP." Well, what SNI does, server name indication, that's similarly a way for the client in the initial in the initial SSL negotiation for in the exactly the same way for it to say, "This is the host." I am hoping to connect to at this IP. Remember that this is important because the we were talking about the the client's query and the query headers where that host header is, but that's in the actual dialogue after the security connection is established. So that's the point is that's too late for the SSL protocol to receive the information it needs it in that first packet the client sends to the server saying i'm wanting to negotiate a connection with this server so so google is saying that they're going to be in the future they have not been already they're going to be relying in the future on clients saying this is the google domain we're wanting to connect to at this IP so that the proper certificate... And the idea is that the server then has a bunch of certificates that all might be served at that one IP and it chooses, the server chooses, which certificate based on what the client has said it's asking for. So again, that's... These are all standards that have been around a long time, but, you know, famously software is slow to update and it doesn't, if it doesn't need to. And Google is saying, yeah, you know, these, some of these things may break. Finally, they said, um, on the flip side of here's all the good things, you know, they, they they said, here are some examples of, remember we talked about like, they, they said you must properly validate the certificate. it's like, well, okay, who wouldn't? Well, apparently people don't. They, so, so they said, here's some examples of improper validation practices that could very well lead to the inability of client software to connect to Google using SSL after this upgrade. And so the first one is they said, for example, do not do this. And that's matching the LEAF certificate exactly. For example, hashing it. So, okay, now get this. Apparently, as we know, The right way, by by LEAF certificate, they mean this the server certificate, the last one in the chain, apparently there are some clients which know what the Google certificate is and they just have a hash for it. And so they don't do any public key chain following. They don't do what you should, which is take the Google certificate and then build a chain back to a valid root certificate that you have in your local root store and and then make sure that every every certificate in the chain has signed the successive one so that you trust every linkage and since you trust the root you trust the leaf well apparently <laughs> not everyone does that they just say oh look this is google's certificate we're just going to remember that and google is saying uh you know obviously when we change our change our certificates the hashes of those certificates are going to change. And so suddenly you're not going to be able to make a secure connection because you were like doing some lazy ass way of SSL. So (laughs) my opinion is you deserve what you get if that's what you're doing. Then they say also matching any other certificate, even a root or an intermediate signing certificate exactly in the same fashion. I mean, yes, I mean, nobody should be doing that. But apparently Google believes some people are or hard-coding the expected root certificate, especially in firmware. Google says this is sometimes done based on assumptions like the following. The root certificate of our chain will not change on short notice. And the fact that it never has doesn't mean that it's not going to. And apparently Google plans on that happening. Then they Or making an assumption... Google will always use thought as its root CA. Google will always use Equifax as its root CA. Google will always use one of a small number of root CAs. Google is saying, don't make any of these assumptions. We're planning to break all of these. Um, we're wily, or the <laughs> or the certificate <laughs> will always contain exactly the expected host name in the common name field, and therefore clients do not need to worry about SANs. So, uh, and then finally, the certificate will always contain exactly the expected host name in a SAN, and therefore clients don't need to worry about wildcards. So, basically, Google is saying, "Look, we're aware that shortcuts have been taken, and." We're about to break all of those, so get your acts together. If you want to be able to establish secure connections to us, then here is you know just do it right, one hundred percent right. Basically, what they just gave us was all the things not to do and the things you you need to be able to support. And all contemporary SSL systems have been doing this for years, for decades. Um, so you know it, it must be weird little. Boxes in the closet, you yeah, know we all often always. talk about boxes in the closet, yeah. and Google is saying, you know we need the freedom to change and and in fact, Google maybe sort of box themselves in a little bit by not having changed before, you know, like they are rigorous with the the way they're their decisions have been made they you know if they always were using the same root ca then someone could go eh well you know we'll check the chain but we're only going to import you know the root ca that google uses because that's google's root and google is saying eh no i can't wait to see who they switch to that'll be really interesting to just know to wonder what their what their logic has been they probably
0: have a randomizing python script that just
1: picks one (laughs) Yeah, I imagine they'll be dealing... A, I mean, they're going to certainly care about security. They're going to want to get a really good provider. It'll be Do you think they see. have like a lot of certificates? or What they have is special. They have a certificate that lets them make their own. And that's ah. special. So so if you look at a Google chain, um, they're they are signed i think by equifax but they have a signing certificate from equifax so, so so google is minting their own certs at will for all of their various domains and subdomains and i mean they you know they're a global network they 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 it's much easier and actually it's safer to use multiple certificates scattered around because if one ever did get compromised, the rest of their network would not be compromised. If they used one certificate globally, oh, goodness. I mean, if that ever got compromised, it would take the whole the whole world down, you know, their, their whole world. And then Larry so, keeps
0: that, that certificate maker in his pocket so that no one can <laughs> get it.
1: Believe me, it is got to be guarded. There, there's probably there's probably some serious technology surrounding that. I'd be but love to
0: see that. They're never going to say because they don't want yeah, to. Yeah, but it,
1: but it's, it's ultimately they they so so their being that their certificate is signed by a major root like Equifax, right. and but it uniquely has its own signing capabilities. Right. So Google right. can mint their own certs. Right. And for whatever duration and reasons they wish. And they have that privilege because they're Google and, you know, and, and trusted. I want to meet Gozer, the key master, the guy who holds
0: that cert. <laughs> There's uh, one guy, you know, and you have to go to him. He said, hey, can I come over at 3 o'clock this afternoon? I need to mint some certs. Yeah, it would be a perfect uh, yeah, breath mint.
1: Be nice to have. So uh, I tweeted this yesterday just because I thought it was very cool. And I wanted to give a shout out of, about it to our listeners. It's called, it's on Kickstarter. It's a Kickstarter project. Lots of time to get in if you were interested. Uh, it's called LinkBot, L-I-N-K-B-O-T. And so the total, the URL is LinkBot create with robots. It's just a very cool project. It's they they've come up with a, a modular robot project module essentially it's a common block with um with bluetooth it's rechargeable it's got blinky lights uh, it's got a beeper so it can make sound i think it's got two motors that can that operate independently and the idea is that you can you you can stick these things together and like make robot arms and make caterpillars and things that walk and and do stuff all just sort of in an Erector Set kind of mode. Um, it's Arduino compatible. Uh, you can. It's got a cool feature where you can like you if you like if it was articulated if you had like like a a multi joint thing you can move it to a position and then say okay remember this and then move it again and then remember this and move it again and remember this and then it'll go back and follow follow that whole sequence. For you without any programming. And it's all open source. There is a programming language that is tied into. Uh, anyway, just very, very cool. So I wanted, to, I did tweet about it yesterday. For those who follow me, you already know. But Linkbot create with robots over on Kickstarter just came across my radar and I wanted to share it with people. And I have a, a neat story uh, from uh, a f- friend of the podcast who has written before, Robert. Osorio, who's in Lady Lake, Florida. And he he wrote, he said, Spinrite resurrects dying SSD. This is not something we've heard about before. And actually, the way this SSD is dying is frightening. And and it's interesting that it even can die in this way. So listen to this one. He said, Steve, the other day, I got a really nice example of SSD resurrection by Spinrite. A client gave me a year old, so not very old, Dell XPS 17 with an SSD boot drive that took seven plus minutes to boot. And when it finally did boot, it ran horribly slow with long pauses at the desktop. The Windows event log showed multiple disk errors, and the Dell hard drive diagnostic confirmed the drive had the drive was bad and gave me an error code and since it was still under warranty I had a replacement coming via overnight shipping however I really wanted to image the drive if possible since there was a lot of specialized software on this laptop and it was a mission critical system a fresh OS install would have been long and tedious ordeal in this case needless to say All attempts at imaging the drive had failed when it encountered errors. I ran Spinrite level two scan on the drive, and it detected around twelve unrecoverable bad sectors. After running the scan on the drive, uh, I'm sorry. After running the scan, the drive booted instantly into Windows. It also allowed me to create a drive image using an Acronis boot CD, which I subsequently recovered to the replacement drive, so all was well. To show how bad a condition the drive was in, I ran a level 2 scan three more times, just for fun. And each time, Spinrite detected even more unrecoverable sectors in different locations. Thanks for a great product, Bob. So, this is interesting, because this says that, remember that The cells in an SSD, the bit cells, are, they're so-called MLC, multi-level cells in these consumer large SSDs. So, it's a, it's essentially, it's a capacitor which stores an analog voltage. If it's a, if it's a two-bit cell, it'll store four different voltage values, which means it could be zero, it could be one third, two thirds, or full, and so the the problem with multi-level cells as opposed to single-level cells is you have three threshold that you where you need to detect the voltages rather than just one. In a single-level cell, you'll either have a zero or a one, zero voltage or full voltage, and then you have a you t- technically, you know, typically half. At half of that is the threshold. If it's below that, then you know you got a zero. If it's above that, you've got a one. And the because the idea is, this will over time these capacitors tend to discharge, and you know they last a long time. But that's the technology is just charge stored in a capacitor, and so the multi-level. I had no cells, idea
0: it was that simple.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so the multi-level cells. The the reason you would store, obviously, four voltages, was is to get two bits per cell. That just, that instantly doubles the density of your SSD. You can go from you know a, a 128 gig to a 256 gig, so that's really valuable. But the problem is you need to you need to store two bits, meaning four values, and now you've got three threshold levels. You know, is the voltage above two thirds? Is it below two thirds but above one third? Is it above, is it below one third but not zero and so forth? So, um, what is happening on this particular one? I mean, this is, it's good that he's, you know, this is definitely defective. Um, it is dying as we watch. I mean, remember that, you know, Spinride is running through and reading the the value from the cell if it's not if it's if it's enough uncorrectable if it requires enough correction then that that sector will be swapped out and another different one will be put in but these things are dying like hour to hour so you know, he didn't wait too long getting, you know, running spinright on this and then immediately doing an image in order to get this, you know, get this moved over to a new drive. Um, and it's really interesting to see an SSD that is in this bad shape after apparently only a year.
0: I don't so, think that's common. You know, and most of the uh, drives nowadays no, are MLC. It's hard to find SLC SSDs. Yeah, that's all I buy
1: is yeah. SLC because, of course, I'm the spinright guy. Where
0: do you Is that the <laughs> Intel? Where do you get that? I mean...
1: Uh, mine. The I bought OWC. Where it was beautiful. Um Well, I did uh, too, but it's an MLC card so. that
0: I got. I got the Excelsior.
1: Well, uh, mine, card. mine were the individual drives, and I looked, but they're, they're they're still small. Also, I mean, I didn't get multi, you know, terabyte. I'm down because right. you know, remember, I'm in assembly language, so none of my stuff need big. A lot of space. Yeah, right. So I think I I think they were, the, these were like sixty gig drives, and I'm running them in RAID six, so I'm only getting forty gig, but that's way more than I need for my server because okay, the server, you know, runs on like two gigs.
0: But I suspect that a lot of the issues with MLC have been solved because it really is hard to get SLC. And,
1: but I don't know. I mean,
0: uh, even some of the... Well, I, just, high end, I, I got a pretty high-end end, uh, card that's it's SLC, it's SL, MLC. Yeah. yeah. From, yeah, from yeah, a, uh, other world worth, computing, you know. Yeah, uh,
1: for what it's worth... Uh, oh, you get the, the SLC, enterprise d-
0: probably, right? That's what you're getting. Yes, they are the enterprise. Yeah, drift. that's why they're MLC. It's e- way MLC. Or-
1: Way more yeah. expensive,
0: yeah. yeah, yeah, it sure is. <laughs> Never <laughs> mind, we're talking fifty gigs for three hundred dollars, six dollars a gig. Yeah, I paid uh, that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and for that you get SLC, yeah, enterprise class, right. and then I and then I, and then I put in a RAID six, so I got one hundred percent redundancy. Any two of those can die, and I'm still just fine. So, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's the, but I don't have to right worry there. about my server anymore. That's yeah. all taken care of. Yeah, that's right. Oh,
0: well, that was for your server. Well, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. for the GRC. That's yeah. my. Oh no, that makes server. a lot
0: of sense. You wouldn't want to do yes. that uh, necessarily on a computer, uh, you know, a laptop. That would be overkill. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we want to talk about uh, CryptoCat. Yes. Uh, uh, is it possible to have secure chats? We were talking about, uh, the other day we were talking about this, uh, I think it was on MacBreak Weekly. We mentioned the the Skype thing, which we talked about last week. And then um, uh, we were talking about something else, and we looked into the terms of service, and it said, well, but we will reveal the uh, contents of this chat to law enforcement, which tells Uh you they have the keys.
1: Yep. So... CryptoCat. Well, and you you also know that they have the actual chat content because right. when you can when you set up a brand new machine, it's able to show you your chat history. <laughs> it's like, uh, oh, that's
0: a good point. It, where where <laughs> did that come from? <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Security now this week brought to you by our good friends ProxPN, Gibson approved. Leo used. You got to try it. <laughs> it's a VPN, virtual private network. That uh, lets you use the internet the way it was designed to be anonymously without uh, your ISP <laughs> sniffing what you do. You could use the free Wi Fi at the coffee house or the hotel or the airport and not have to worry because everything you send out of your computer is sent through an encrypted tunnel back to the Pro XPN servers. And because they've got servers all over the world, you can choose uh, to be geographically uh, uh, anonymous or. Fungible, I guess would be a better word. You can uh, say, hey, you know, bypass all geographic uh, restrictions with servers in the U.S., U.K., Asia, and more. Uh, Of course, you could bypass internet filtering blocked websites. If you're worried about your ISP's six strikes rule, this will protect you. Works via OpenVPN, and that's for most cases uh, how you'd want to do it, but if you're on a mobile device that doesn't support OpenVPN, they will also support PPTP. 512-bit encryption tunnels uh 2048 bit uh, keys I mean this is really the way this is the way you want to do it proxpn.com/twit if you want to find out more you can cancel anytime in the first 7 days to get a full refund they do have free accounts but if you decide to use the uh, the pro account you're going to get a really good deal when you use our offer code sn20 sn20 20% off not just for the first year but forever on your new account
1: 20% really? Off. If you if you use SN3O, do you get thirty percent off?
0: <laughs> Go ahead, try it. If it works, oh. you be my guest. I. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good question. Wouldn't that be fun? SN8O. I don't know.
1: Yeah, what the I suspect SN100. If,
0: it's free. It's free. I think they've figured this out. It's probably SN20 probably. and nothing. I, I uh, Pro XPN premium accounts normally ten dollars a month. That's about seventy five bucks a year. But when you get that twenty percent off, you're going to talk about like five bucks a month on the yearly plan. So that's a great deal proxpn.com slash twit to learn more. Don't be this guy, it says. <laughs> no, don't, don't be that guy. Get proxpn for a true open VPN implementation that's fast, effective, does the job, and is very affordable when you use SN20 as your offer code. Let me thank them for uh, their support and for the work they do to protect us online. proxpn.com slash twit. So Qcat is is a is a, uh,
1: IM, instant messaging solution is that right Okay so yeah, let's frame this properly because I started off putting too much emphasis on 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 CryptoCat CryptoCat is definitely fun definitely worthwhile it is a it's a it's a web browser plugin and also available apparently as a standalone Mac app. You have to have 10.6.6 or later. Um, but but it's also available as a plug-in for, and I'm trying to look here in my notes. Where is it? There it is. Chrome, Chrome Firefox, and Safari. Ah. Uh, and I did install it on Firefox to play with it. It's a cute little tiny thing, 635K. And then you have to restart Firefox, and then you're there. So CryptoCat is a... A browser plugin based secure chat system. And now we're going to spend the rest of this podcast explaining what secure chat is because it's different than, for example, PGP style secure email. But so, so what I like about CryptoCat is that it lets it's like almost no installation and bang there you are able to set up a chat relationship with anybody else in the world and it is utterly secure it is it is you, your there is okay and i have to define what secure means because again i'm using secure chat in a way that i haven't defined yet but what i like about the reason cryptocat is fun is it just zero friction to get into it. You you load a plug in and bang, you're going. So if there's anybody you want to do chat with, you can. On the other hand, it turns out the underlying protocol, which is what I find interesting. I mean, the client there is very nice. The underlying protocol is where the meat is. And this is where the use of the word secure comes into play. And the protocol is widely available. It's all over the place. It's been around uh, some. Uh, Ian Goldberg is, the, is one of the co-authors of the protocol. Um, he's been in math for a long time. He's now a cryptographer. Um, he was We once mentioned him because he's the guy that, that realized that Netscape Navigator's random number generator for its SSL connections was no good. And it, and that completely crippled this, the security of Netscape Navigator's early SSL. That was Ian who who figured this out, you know, in his early twenties. Um, but uh, he did; a, he's delivered some papers about this um, from at least dating back to oh five. So this OTR, that's the name of the protocol, off the record, and as I mentioned at the top of the show, it is already widely available. So you can use it in existing instant messaging clients. Uh, You would obviously need to use it at each end. And, in fact, it refuses not to have the other end being used if it's being used. Um, The site where all of this can be found and links is Ian's site, which is cypherpunks.ca, C y pherpunk dot cypherpunks.ca, and slash OTR, sorry, slash off the record. I think if you just go to cypherpunks.ca, it tells you you need login credentials, and so you want to go to slash OTR, which is a non-protected directory on that server. So, you know, Ian I, got a, I looked at, like, so who is this guy? Um, he, he For three years in high school, so for, I guess, his last three years of high school, he was a member of Canada's team at the International Math Olympiads, where successively he brought home a bronze, a silver, and a gold medal. Um, he got his bachelor's in, in, in pure math from University of Waterloo in 95 when he was 22 years old. And that 's when he uncovered the crucial flaw in netscape navigators s s l random number generator. This is the the random numbers that protect the 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 choice of key when you 're negotiating your symmetric cipher and we all know that crypto needs really high quality random number generators. It turns out that Netscape navigators wasn 't very good we 've talked about that on podcasts in the past. This was ian who who found this um uh then he went on to get his phd at berkeley with a thesis titled uh uh su- synony- synonymous communications infrastructure for the internet uh and today he's a, he's back in uh waterloo as an associate professor and uh and university research chair uh and teaches some courses uh every quarter in in security and privacy so okay so what is secure chat? And how does that differ from, for example, secure email? You know, what's the problem with secure email? Turns out there are some characteristics of secure email, which you may not want in chat. For example, the the way we're familiar with PGP, and in general, we're familiar with the the typical secure crypto technology. Uh, You know, often in crypto. Uh, protocols, we talk about actors, Alice and Bob, you know, A and B. Uh, So Alice and Bob are our two guys. And so, for example, Alice and Bob each have public key pairs. And we're talking about the normal uh, PGP model, the, the, the traditional, you know, protect your email communications. So they generate a public key pair what they 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 keep their private keys private and they make their public keys widely known and alice wants to send bob a message so she uses her private key to sign the hash of her message and since only she has her private key and um well and, and then only she is able to to sign the hash of her message. So she so then after signing it, she um, <clears throat> excuse me, she knows she's gonna send it to Bob. And Bob has published his public key. So she uses his public key to encrypt the key that she uses to encrypt her message and sends that off to Bob. Well, only Bob knows his private key. So he's only, he's the only person who's able to decrypt the key that Alice used to encrypt the message. So he uses his private key, decrypts the key that Alice used, then decrypts the message. Now he wants to verify he wants to authenticate that it's from Alice. So she signed the message with her private key, which only she knows. So he verifies the signature using her public key, and if it verifies, he knows that only the matching private key could have been used to sign it. So that's, you know, that's our standard. Here's how we authenticate and we we encrypt. That is, we get privacy with something in, in something like PGP. That's the technology. Says, and, and so, like, okay, that's everything we want, right? Well, maybe, but we can do better than that. And that's what these guys recognized when they created this notion of a, of a secure chat protocol, because what if Bob's computer was grabbed by bad guys, maybe by criminals, by competitors, or, you know, I don't want to call the FBI bad guys, but, you know, the point being that, you know, these two people, Alice and Bob, want to keep their communications private for whatever reason. So if the computer were subpoenaed by a three-letter initial organization, or grabbed under the Patriot Act, the NFL, um. <laughs> right? CIA, uh, NSA, yeah, that's FBI, right. NSA, CIA, FBI, NBA. one of those guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, then the point is that all of Bob's keying material can be recovered, and then they're able to do everything that Bob was originally able to do. And that's the key, originally able to do. So that means that they can decrypt all of his past messages to learn their content. So there goes their privacy. Um, And they can also learn that Alice provably sent them. Because the same strength of authentication that operated at the time the message was received persists, and that's key. So, so they not only know what Alice sent, but they can prove she sent it because they've you know Alice's key is public, and it could, only somebody who had the private key could have signed those messages with you know, and that's absolute mathematical certainty. So this is a problem. We can do better. So imagine a, a, just a chat, a conversation in a, in, a, in a quiet room. Alice and Bob talk. No one else can hear them. So they have privacy. No one else knows what they say. No one can prove what was said not even Alice and Bob, after the fact you know their 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 conversation itself is ephemeral it's happening, and they're each present, nobody else is, and you know they can assert whatever they want to, but that's not proof so we say that such conversations are off the record there's i mean there's even legal legal standing for, you know, an off-the-record conversation. You have an off-the-record conversation with, with a reporter, and that means something legally. You know, he's like, you're not recording this, this is off the record, not for attribution, blah, blah, blah. So how do we achieve that? A different set of goals than, for example, secure email. We want we want a secure chat. So what does that mean? That means a technology we've discussed before, known as perfect forward security. That's the term used where no subsequent disclosure of cryptographic keys can disclose anything that was previously encrypted under those keys. So that's very cool. That's not what PGP has. PGP does not give you Perfect forward security, as we said, if Bob's keys got loose or Alice's got keys got got loose, their conversations are decryptable. So, so we need something which is ephemeral, so, so, something which is is not going to last on purpose. It's there long enough for the conversation, but inherently not long enough for a record. But the other thing which is which these guys have done, which is very cool, is deliberate, um, repudiable authentication. You want to be able to, to repudiate the dialogue, meaning that you want to be able to say, I didn't say that, and for there to be no way for anyone to prove you did. Which, again, that's, that's what a conversation between two people in a quiet room with no eavesdropping gives you, you know, even the other person, the other party in the communication can allege that you said something. I and repudiate can say you. You can deny it. Yes. You, can, you, you can repudiate that, you know, that assertion. So, so, so we're not talking about this casually, though. We want this in, like, technology. Okay, so perfect forward security means technically that a future key compromise must not reveal past communication contents. So we do that by using so-called ephemeral or short, key, short-lived keys. And what's cool about this dialogue is th- that is this protocol is they are constantly negotiating new keys and discarding the keys they have just used. It, it turns out that a, a, what they use is a Diffie-Hellman. Key exchange, which we've also discussed in the podcast in the past, that's the cool concept where, where it doesn't matter which sequence you exponentiate in, um, uh, they each create random numbers. They they raise a prime number to this to this random number power. They take the result mod another prime number keeping just the residue, just the remainder essentially, that they send to the other person and the other person does the same thing and sends their residue to the other person. so they exchange their residues then they do th- then they each do the same thing again and they they get they arrive at an identical result yet nobody monitoring the conversation, nobody, Nobody intercepting the, this exchange of residue can recreate what the, the, this common number they got, because each of them keeps their own secret. They only exchange the residue from the use of that secret, and that because of because of taking something to a high prime power and then taking the modulus to another prime, all you get is the remainder. That's that's one of these hard problems you can't go backwards you're it, you're th- like a hash that throws away lots of information and distills it this is a different kind of distillation process but it's very fast to do so this this diffie-hellman exchange you can do per message on the fly which is exactly what these guys do every every time they're as you're chatting back and forth in the chat room the each side is Continually generating another Diffie-Hellman exchange key and sending it along with the chat payload to the other side. They're always keeping the the current and the next key cur- uh, present, but they are all they're always retiring and like deliberately deleting. They're overwriting in memory and deleting the previous key so they're they're constantly retiring the the previous negotiated keys they do not though uh, also there is a public key technology here because the one thing the diffie-hellman key exchange doesn't do is authenticate notice that if there was a man in the middle he could exchange keys with alice and then exchange or exchange mod residue with Alice and then exchange, turn around and exchange modulus residue with Bob and set himself up as, and, you know, pretending to be each other for the other and insert himself in the middle. So you do use in this protocol, and, they, and it's spelled out, there is a public key component where where they use their public key only for authentication, not for signing. And that's the key the the mistake such as it is that pgp makes is that alice signed her message using her private key so so it was non repudiatable someone could say this came this was signed by alice a month ago doesn't matter that it was a month ago she signed it so and it's because she's using her private key of her uh, of her uh, um public key pair to do the signing. This protocol specifically does not do that. What this protocol does is sort of interesting. They they once you've got this key agreed, you they hash that to get the encryption key. And then they hash that again they, that is they hash the encryption key to get so, so it's derivative to get a a keyed Hash. We've talked about keyed hash, so-called message authentication codes, MACs. The idea is that a message authentication code is a keyed hash, which is like a digital signature that's, that is also based on a key. So since both sides have have they, – they've used Diffie-Hellman to exchange and get a big key, they then hash that to get the encryption key, which they'll – encrypt their messages to each other with and remember that they are on the fly they're discarding these so those do not persist which means that no future compromise of anything they do even a other you know conversations with other people or the same people that will never allow previous conversations to be decrypted because they this is per you know per event, Keying essentially, then, but the but how do you get authentication? How do you know this is really from each other? You got, you know, I, I would say, well, the fact that you've you you can decrypt it and get something meaningful, <laughs> only somebody who had the key could encrypt it, but that's not good enough for crypt, crypt, cryptographers, they want an actual authentication. So, they you hash the the cipher key to get this so called the, the the MAC key. Now they and they each do that, so they each have the same MAC key, the message authentication key, and so they simply hash their message, um, you with the with the message with the same message authentication key, and append the result to the message, which they then encrypt and send to each other, so they can provably authenticate. But notice what happens: since they're using the same hash. They're not using each other's signature. They're deliberately using the same hash. That's exactly like Bob making something up that he says Alice said. But if it's in this communication, he had the hash, and that's all you, and he had the cipher key, meaning he has everything necessary to forge a message from Alice. Meaning that it is, you can demonstrate mathematically that, that unlike PGP, where only the other person is, it can be shown to be provable, the provable creator, this off the record protocol creates identical cipher material on each side, making them equal in the conversation. Meaning that that there is no way for bob to ever assert that alice sent him something because he has an equal ability to create the same message that alice sent and then they go these guys go one step further and that is as they are reti- they are retiring the cipher keys they're always creating new ones and as soon as they as soon as they receive A message under the new key, they overwrite and discard the previous one. They also send, they deliberately send the previous messages hash key as part of the following message, just to sort of put it out there in the public to sort of further say anybody who wants to can, can forge the previous message. They can't forge the current one. They can forge the immediate previous one. And so they've, they have attach that, that authentication key just to sort of thumb their nose at anyone trying to make a case from the data which has been exchanged by deliberately giving away everything necessary to forge the previous message. And that's off-the-record protocol. Simple. <laughs> yeah. We, been, you know, while you were doing this, we had a kind of a back channel
0: chat going, uh, and I started it in Chrome and I exited the Chrome chat. The chat persisted and then went into the Mac app, and everybody's still in there, and it's pretty nice.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, so that's an implementation which I can recommend. Uh, the guys that are doing it ha- have gone through a full audit, they had a, a full code audit. Um, all of their code is open source. Available for people to look at. Um, they're do. It's like also multi-language. They've got. I don't remember. It's like thirty some plus languages. Even Esperanto. It's like what? Who's who actually speaks Esperanto? I guess there actually is a community. I of, don't
0: think there's like native Esperanto speakers.
1: No. Well, apparently they're people, they're who people embrace who are, it. Okay, they're <laughs> well embraced Esperantins. <laughs> yes. So yes, you can use Esperanto if you wish. Awesome. Or for uh CryptoCat. Anyway, so I know that our I know our audience, there will be people who love the idea of being able to use either existing chat clients. For example, I, you know, when I'm when I get into the Twit chat room, I use XChat as my little love Windows it. chat yep. client. Yeah. Yeah, XChat supports this protocol. XChat supports off the record protocol. Oh, that's and neat. so you so you could use XChat um, and and also uh, there are a number of um, jabber clients and so this is jabber compatible is is there something called pigeon Pi pigeon
0: which is pigeon. a multi-client or multi-protocol client for windows
1: okay. and, and, and so, I think for you, Linux and this is also it, it is a pigeon plugin. there is a plug a plugin for pigeon so IR, you could use SSI supports it as well there are quite a few chats yes on. yeah that's good yes. So anyway, so now I mean, this is the technology. The technology is nailed, and as I said, I know our listeners there. We among our population here are people who just I mean, it's it's actually there's something cool about just even though you don't need it, just knowing that this thing is so insanely bulletproof that that nobody can eavesdrop on it. Unlike Skype chat, we know which you know Microsoft is logging in the clear. Um, uh, and has the ability to send us our the, the history on a new machine that is set up so obviously they have our chat just the idea that you could have a point-to-point conversation with absolute security in a browser plugin, in uh as you as we've said chrome firefox um and safari so that's it it's neat uh, yeah yeah they nailed it They they really got it yeah
0: uh, so you can download it, uh, uh, but uh, you could also use it as a plugin in existing uh, chat clients.
1: Um, yep, and, and again, it's cipher c y p h e r punks cipher punks slash o t r for off the record. In fact, I think in in the PDF I sent you, I called it OTP because of course you know one time password, but no O T R off the record we're getting our acronyms considered. yeah
0: the cypherpunks have been around for a long time and actually are a, a really great group uh, yes and
1: this is ian and 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 his yeah, gang yeah, who have put yeah. it together
0: uh well that's neat um uh would be nice if you had a plug-in for skype but you don't <laughs> so you just have to if you want private chat use something else
1: yeah i think skype i mean now i'm seeing commercials on like ads well on microsoft
0: skype. is really pushing it heavily Yeah, Um, Yeah. and you know, but we use IRC, which is completely in the clear and open. And anything you know, you we do on our on our uh, chat room is you know logged and visible. And you would never you know expect it to be
1: private, right? No. Um, Um, Also, I should mention that the CryptoCat folks are very close to releasing mobile clients, so ah. there will be iOS and Android versions of of CryptoCat. Uh, also available. You know, it'd be
0: really interesting is to see Google support it with their new Hangouts uh, chat. I bet you there's a Jabber uh, plugin for it.
1: Yes, yes, uh, yeah. there is Jabber support. Yeah, it'd
0: be really nice to see Google do that. Uh, and if if you could flip a switch in Google Hangouts to do that, boy, that would really change the world. Bring bring down
1: the Kona Silence.
0: Yeah, just say <laughs> yeah. Call it the Kona Silence. That's good. <laughs> Steve Gibson does his show every Wednesday 11am Pacific 2pm Eastern time 1900 UTC on twit.tv. We want you to watch live if you can. Always fun then you could try out things like the CryptoCat chat. We were ch- there were about 15 people so saw me started up joined us in there oh, cool. it was kind of fun. Yeah. Um But you can also get on-demand audio and video after the fact. Steve hosts the smallest version, the 16-kilobit audio version, at his site, grc.com. Right next to that, you'll find written word transcripts written by a human being, Elaine Ferris. So they're very good. And so that's a great way to read along as you listen along. Uh, While you're at grc.com, don't forget to try Spinrite, world's finest hard drive, maintenance and recovery utility, and all the freebies Steve offers. This would be a good time to visit the password haystacks page, among others. And if you have a question about anything you heard today or other shows or just something you just read online, like that Ars Technica article, Security Now Feedback is grc.com slash feedback. And we'll answer 10 questions uh, next week. Yeah. If the world of security permits. (laughs) There's no breaking (laughs) news. So uh, Security Now Feedback is at GRC, Gibson Research Corporation, grc.com slash feedback. Steve's on Twitter as S-G-G-R-C. And um, what else? I guess that's about it. Uh, if you yeah. want full quality audio or video, we've got that at twit.tv/sn.
1: When you went to CryptoCat, did you just go into the lobby? As, there as isn't the a lobby.
0: Um, what happens? In a, you know, I, I downloaded the Chrome plugin, but I also installed the uh, the Mac plugin. I'll, if you want to see, I'll show it
1: to you. Well, there actually is a lobby. If you if you use, ah, well, see now L-O-B- that raises
0: an issue because if. If you know the name of the chat, you can enter the chat.
1: Yes, and um, but they also, if you click, there's a you, know, you have to poke around there. But there, they, you're able to get your own information. Yes, and you can, you can click offer a that to
0: somebody. And say, let's do a private
1: chat. Exactly, right. but but it's fun because they they have, and I didn't mention this. There is a multi-party variant of this. And so they have extended this off-the-record protocol, which is inherently a point-to-point, you know, two-party exchange. There is a multi-party variant, which they're working on, and that's what they're using in the in in this chat room, where you can go uh, if you just use lobby. If you hover your your so mouse, you lobby over can be
0: the- a chat uh, a chat room as well. So I'm in the it's lobby sort, yes, now. It's sort- yeah.
1: Yeah, sort of the default. I was just right. going to say that our, our, if our listeners wanted to chat with other of our listeners, it's very quiet. I, I've been logged in there for a day, and just you know, like one or two people come in and don't <laughs> they don't say anything and they leave. Um, but that's but where you would
0: you would find somebody and then uh, create a private one on one chat through that.
1: Is yeah. that. the idea. Yeah, well, or you'd probably you know you, somehow you do need to exchange your keying material uh. off channel so, so i have just you know,
0: posted my fingerprint which is visible in the client for private conversations and then a group conversation fingerprint that's the one i guess e- we're in exactly yeah. so i'd somehow supply him with this
1: number this key and, and, and that we, would allow him to find you we'd yes. have a private private chat online uh, yeah.
0: yeah no that's it's very cool and then once you're in the lobby of course um you can chat with somebody else but you can also uh, leave the lobby and uh, and go to uh, another chat. We had a security now chat, and they were fun. fun. There are people in there. It looks just like IRC. Yeah. Um, not, you know, I mean, it's kind of rudimentary. You can't control the font or the colors. Although there's a, I found a CSS file in the resources of the package. You could probably modify it and hack it around. A bit.
1: That's it's cool. Mostly, it's super secure. So that's yeah. that's it's nice. Cool. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Steve Gibson. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. Security now